What is up, everybody? It is JT Sports. I am back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing will the Tennessee Titans potentially miss the playoffs this upcoming season? Why the Dolphins offense could explode this year? How good will the Ravens offense be? And lastly, which Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver will step up in 2022? Now, if this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Twitter at JT Sports underscore. And lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. Many people have started to do their record predictions for the upcoming season. And there are a lot of people out there who think that the Tennessee Titans will miss the postseason this year. Last year, the Titans finished with a 12-5 record. They had the number one overall seed in the AFC. And they were sent packing by the Cincinnati Bengals in the divisional round of the postseason. However, I think that despite... This team losing a couple of key pieces on the offensive side of the football, such as star wide receiver A.J. Brown. They also got rid of a couple of offensive linemen. I think many people are selling this team short. Last year, I didn't view the Titans as a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I felt they would win the division, they would make it to the playoffs, but I didn't really see them having much success in the postseason. However, going into this year, many people are just automatically counting out this team because of what they lost, and I haven't really heard too many people talk about what they brought in to replace their losses at wide receiver. Yeah, you trade away star, wide out A.J. Brown to Philadelphia, but not too many people have mentioned the acquisition of wide receiver Robert Woods, who they acquired in a trade with the LA Rams. Woods tore his ACL last season, but he should be ready to go come the start of training camp. And I expect him to have a really productive year with Tennessee. Robert Woods is one of the more consistent wide receivers in the game. And I think that he's going to be a very good mentor and another good piece to put alongside of rookie wide receiver Traylon Burks, who they selected in the first round of this past year's NFL draft. Then, not to mention, this team was without their heart and soul, Derrick Henry. And despite the fact that they had to go the majority of the regular year without their biggest piece on offense, they still were able to come away with the number one overall seed in this conference. And that's a testament to how good of a coaching staff that Tennessee has. Mike Vrabel did a fantastic job with this team. We talk about all of the injuries that teams like New Orleans and the Baltimore Ravens had to deal with. Tennessee was rotating guys in and out on the offensive line. They had injuries at wide receiver. And despite that, they were still able to be a really good football team. And I'm not ready to count out Tennessee just yet. I'm not saying that they're going to make the playoffs. I'm not saying they're going to miss the playoffs. However, I do think that too many people are just riding off the Titans. I'm not ready to give the AFC South division to the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts have just as many things to prove as the Tennessee Titans. As a matter of fact, I still think that Tennessee is a better football team than Indianapolis. The Colts are also a football team that doesn't have a lot of depth or talent at wide receiver outside of Michael Pittman. Then you have Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. Yeah, you get rid of Carson Wentz and bring in Matt Ryan, but... Carson Wentz wasn't as bad as what many people make him out to be. As a matter of fact, the guy threw 27 touchdowns and only seven interceptions. Yes, he was reckless at times, and it did cost Indianapolis in the end. But overall, I think that Tennessee and the Colts are pretty much on the same level when it comes to talent. It's just all about who's going to better perform this year. And then something else that we have to bring up is the fact that when you look at the Tennessee Titans, with the fact that Derrick Henry is coming back, 
Many people harp on the offensive line not being all that good. They parted ways with Roger Soulfield and David Quisenberry. However, the guys that they currently have, Left tackle Taylor Lewan is still one of the best offensive tackles in the game. You re-signed center Ben Jones to a two-year deal worth $14 million. Yeah, he's 32 years old, but he's still really productive. Right guard Nate Davis is a pretty good run blocker. Left guard and right tackle definitely are the biggest concerns that many people have about the Titans going into training camp and whatnot. But the strength of this team is the run game is going to be the run blocking this isn't really a team that's built to throw the football 30 40 times a game and there were certain instances where they needed Ryan Tannehill to step up and carry the load where they didn't necessarily have the talent around him to do that you got to remember last year Tennessee was rotating guys in and out of the starting lineup when it came to their offensive line so it was hard to develop good chemistry good communication you got to remember that The offensive line simply isn't a unit where you can just plug and play anybody. You have to develop chemistry. You have to develop good communication and understanding with one another. And for Tennessee, going into this year... They have some young guys like Devin Runditz, who should be expected to start at right tackle. He has a lot of upside. They drafted him in the second round of the 2021 NFL draft out of North Dakota State. So, I mean, yeah, this offense did lose some talent. You did lose Brown to Philadelphia. Julio Jones didn't really do much last year. So this team, I don't think, got all that worse as many people in the media try to make it out to be. And for Tennessee and Indianapolis, one of these teams are going to make it into the playoffs. It's not going to be both. The AFC is just way too stacked to have two teams from the AFC South representing the division. And I think most likely if I was a betting man at the moment, I would still put my money on Tennessee. Tennessee defensively is really good really good and Indianapolis has a really good defense also but this is the same Colts team that lost their defensive coordinator and Matt Eberflus who is currently the defensive coordinator of the well the head coach of the Chicago Bears excuse me he formerly was their DC last year Tennessee still has a lot of key pieces on the defensive side of the football. You have defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons, who happens to be one of the best interior defensive linemen that we have in the game. You have edge rusher Harold Landry, who is coming off a career high of 12 sacks last year. But Dupree only had three sacks, but he wasn't all that healthy. Can he be able to stay on the field this go-around? You have Caleb Farley, who only played in three games before suffering a season-ending knee injury. Christian Fulton really had a fantastic 2021 campaign 12 interceptions 14 pass deflections he could end up having a breakout year where he may end up being a pro bowler rookie cornerback out of Auburn Roger McCurry was one of the more underrated cornerback prospects coming out of this past year's draft class you have slot corner Elijah Molden who can do a variety of things you can play him in the slot you can play him as a hybrid safety in certain packages then at safety you have Kevin Byer one of the best safeties in the league and safety Amani Hooker this is a really fantastic defense and although I do have my reservations about the linebacker play this defense should still be a top 12 unit potentially top 10 unit at best so the defense is still going to be there the question is offensively How much production are you going to get out of your wide receiver position? We know Robert Woods is going to be consistent, but we don't really know too much about Traylon Burks. Titans fans are hoping that Traylon Burks ends up filling in that role in the replacement of A.J. Brown. But however, he's still trying to work some things out when it comes to conditioning. He's still not in the best shape. But when you look at this team... I'm really having a hard time trying to figure out why so many people are counting out Tennessee. This is a resilient football team. This is a football team that fights in almost every single game that they play in. There are many games where Tennessee was down and they found a way to crawl back in. And let's not forget, 
Tennessee still had one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL, despite Derrick Henry missing the majority of the regular season. We also have to take that into account. With the heart and soul of their team coming back and King Henry, Tennessee is not a team that you can just strictly judge off talent, okay? Because too many people look at the stats and they look at the numbers and you're going to look at the pro football focus grades and you're going to say, well, JT, this offensive line doesn't look great. Well, when it comes to pass blocking, yeah, but that's not how this team was built. This team was built to run the football and that's what Tennessee is going to do. And as long as Derrick Henry stays healthy, they're still going to be really good at doing that. And the schedule, you can say, well, JT, they have a tough schedule. They had a tough schedule last year. They still had the number one overall seed, despite how many injuries they had to deal with. So I'm not saying that Tennessee is going to miss the playoffs. I'm also not going to say that they're going to make it. I am saying, however, that I think they have a better shot at making it than what many people are giving them credit for. And like I mentioned earlier, they still would be my pick at the moment to win the AFC South because I still feel this team is a lot better than the Indianapolis Colts, who also have a couple of issues that they have to work out on both ends of the football. Corner, you brought in Stephon Gilmore, but who's going to end up being their number two? Kenny Moore right now, who is their nickelback, one of the best slot corners in the league, is currently sitting out. He's not participating in OTAs. We don't know what's going to happen with him and his contract dispute or whatnot. So for Indianapolis... Yes, I do like what they've done bringing in Matt Ryan, even though he may not be as talented at this stage of his career as Carson Wentz. He's going to be a little bit more conservative with the football. You're not going to have as many mistakes, and your team is going to be run through Jonathan Taylor. However, when you look at the Tennessee Titans, this is a coaching staff that has proven that they can do more with less. And I'm always somebody who is in favor of people who are able to do a lot more despite not having a lot of great pieces around them. And I think too many people, when you do these record predictions, they do it solely based off the roster. They don't go off the coaching. They don't really dig into who the offensive line coach is. They really are just judging teams based off the depth chart. You really have to dive in further. You have to look at what head coaches are able to elevate the players on their team. That's something that when you look at their head coach, he does a very good job at. Mike Vrabel gets the most out of every single player that he has on his team, and that was evident last year. And to think that Tennessee is falling off, I think it's kind of disrespectful. It really is. Now, where they rank in terms of the AFC hierarchy, I don't think many people are having them in that Super Bowl conversation compared to the talks last offseason going in where there were a good amount of Super Bowl conversations surrounding the Tennessee Titans. However, going into this year, I think too many people are selling this team short. And it's, it's a good example of how quickly people can switch on you. You get what I'm saying? This is a Titans team that, yes, they lost some pieces, but they also did a good job of replacing what they lost. And for me personally, I know I sound a little bit like a hypocrite saying that I'm not trying to say they're not going to make it or they are, but I pretty much said that I think they will because I still picked them to win the AFC South. And Colts fans may get upset with that, but defensively, this is a really good team. I really love the Tennessee Titans roster on the defense side of football. This is a team that's going to put the ball on the ground with Derrick Henry. They're going to control the clock. Their defense is going to get stops. They're going to keep you and your offense off the field. And when your offense does get on the field, you're going to have a very tough time moving the ball on them. I still feel as if Tennessee is the team to beat. However, if Tennessee does not win this division, they're going to be in a lot of trouble because the AFC has so many great teams this year. I mean, you look at the AFC North, three teams could get in. You could have Pittsburgh, the Browns, the Ravens, the Bengals. One of those four teams are not going to get in. And all four of those teams, you look at them right now, those are playoff caliber football teams. The AFC West, the Raiders, who surprised everybody making it to the postseason last year. 
You have the Broncos with Russell Wilson. You have the Chargers who made a lot of improvements this offseason. Kansas City still can't count them out. So let alone, you're already going to have two divisions who potentially could have three teams in. Now, of course, not all those teams are going to get in. Somebody's going to end up not being able to live up to those high expectations. However, when you look at the AFC South, if Tennessee doesn't win this division, they're probably not going to get in. Maybe they could find a way to backdoor their way into the 6th or 7th seed, but it's going to be really tough. So their division matchups are going to be really critical. And this division did get slightly better, bringing in Doug Peterson as the head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not saying that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be in that discussion for winning the division. We still know it's going to come down to the Titans and the Colts. However, it is worth noting that this is a Jaguars team with a better coaching staff. They're going to have this team a little bit better prepared and as we saw with Indianapolis when they got smacked in the mouth and had their playoff hopes derailed by Jacksonville I'm just saying don't count out the Jaguars they could be a team who could steal a game from you and it could be at the moment where you least expect it so for Tennessee if they don't win this division I don't think they make it into the playoffs but I have a very high level of confidence in the Titans and head coach Mike Vrabel that they're going to be able to win this division. And we already know if you win the division, you're automatically guaranteed a spot in the postseason. However, if you don't, things become incredibly difficult. But you guys let me know down in the comment section down below how you guys feel about the Tennessee Titans chances of being able to make it into the postseason this year. So, I think that the Miami Dolphins offense is going to explode this year. And many people, including my guy Juice Alert, has been saying that I'm overrating the Miami Dolphins. I'm overrating Tua Tagovailoa. I'm a big fan of Tua. When he was coming out of Alabama, I loved his game. Even though he may not have the strongest arm, or he may not be as good as a Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert, I think when you look at the hiring of Mike McDaniels and I said this several times and I'm going to repeat it again I think that this was a grand slam hiring for the Dolphins you're bringing in somebody who's going to run the West Coast offense and it's a perfect system for Tua Tavaloa and what he does well Tua Tavaloa is really accurate in between the numbers short to intermediate is where he excels the best then you bring in Tyreek Hill who is one of the best football players that we have in this league right now Tyreek Hill with how he's able to impact the game in so many different ways by just being able to return kickoffs and punts and just his ability of what he's able to do after the catch he's able to win you three maybe four games so you bring that aspect to your offense when you already had Jalen Waddle. so you arguably have two of the fastest wide receivers in the league that's going to be starting at wide receiver for you then you improve the run game I mean, the Dolphins' rushing attack over the last couple of seasons has been abysmal. 2019, they had the worst rushing attack in the NFL, averaging 72.3 rushing yards per game. In 2020, they were 21st in rushing yards per game with 105.5. That went down previously last year when they only had 92 rushing yards per game, which was 29th in the league. You bring in Chase Edmonds who I think may be the most talented running back currently on the roster. When you're looking at somebody who can do it all, Chase Edmonds is going to be that guy. He can catch passes out of the backfield. He's also pretty explosive when he's able to get opportunities. Last year, James Conner kind of came on when he was battling injuries, and I don't even think Arizona expected James Conner to play as well as what he did last year. So with Chase Edmonds going to Miami, I expect him to end up being the RB1, and I think that he's going to get the bulk load of the carries. You do have Sony Michelle, who did have a pretty significant role in the Rams' offense. 
at times you have Raheem Mostert who has some familiarity well a lot of familiarity with Mike McDaniels because Mike McDaniels was the OC for the 49ers and Raheem Mostert has spent his last couple of years with San Francisco so he's already familiar with the system he'll probably end up being in the discussion for that um, that RB1 spot as well then you still have Gaskins and Dokes and then you brought in fullback Alex Ingold from Las Vegas and we know what that means anytime you see a team sign a fullback that means they're most likely going to end up going underneath center. They're going to run that eye formation, and they're going to bring back that old traditional ground and pound. And people forget that you can still win a lot of ball games with the older style of offenses. You can still win running the eye formation. Many people think you need this flashy offense where you just need to be throwing the football 50, 40 times a game. If you are still a very effective running football team, you're still going to have a chance of being able to compete for championships. And this offense, it may not sound as if it's going to be flashy or explosive, but the West Coast offense is all about putting wide receivers in positions to make big plays after the catch. And you have two of the best wide receivers in the league when it comes to what they're able to do with the ball in their hands after they catch the ball. You have Tyreek Hill, you have Jalen Waddle, who is coming off a really underrated rookie season. His rookie season was fantastic. He caught 104 receptions for 1,015 receiving yards, six touchdowns, and yet he was kind of overshadowed by how dominant Jamar Chase was with Cincinnati. But Jalen Waddle was pretty much the most reliable weapon that Miami had on offense at times. Then you have Cedric Wilson, who may be one of the more underrated free agency signings of this offseason. When he got signed, nobody really talked about it. Nobody really cared unless you're a Dolphins fan. But Cedric Wilson was the third wide receiver on Dallas. And he didn't really get a lot of opportunities to show how good he was because he was in the shadows of C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Amari Cooper. But when he's asked to step up and make plays, he contributed. And I think with Miami... It looks as if he's probably going to be playing in the slot. So I think that would be a perfect spot for him. But if you want to play him outside, you can do that. If you want to move Tyreek to the slot or Jalen Waddle to the slot and move him to the outside, you can do that as well. But something else that Miami has, something that they haven't had in the last couple of years, is actually good death at wide receiver. You also have Lynn Bolden. Forgot about him. I think that Mike McDaniels definitely can find a role for him. You have Preston Williams, who is a okay 50-50 ball wide receiver. He also could be a good red zone target. You have rookie wide receiver out of Texas Tech, Eric Uzakomo. Eric Uzakama out of Texas Tech. He was a fourth-round pick this past year's NFL draft. He is 6'2", 209 pounds, has great size. He makes a lot of circus-like catches. If you go back and you watch a couple of his games, man, some of the catches that he was making, I was saying, oh my goodness. Okay, I, I see you. I see you. But the thing with him is that his route running needs work. And on top of that, I don't think he's the greatest when it comes to creating a lot of separation. He's also not a burner. There were people saying that he could be the Debo Samuel of Mike McDaniel's offense. I strongly disagree with that. If there was going to be anybody who could have a Debo Samuel kind of role in his offense, it would be Lynn Bowden. Because you look at Uzukamu or Uzukama. He doesn't have the same skill set that Debo Samuel has. And I'm not really understanding why some people are making that comparison. But I think that if there was anybody who was going to have that kind of versatile role, being able to be moved around in several spots on the offense, it would be Bolden. The offensive line probably is the biggest question outside of Tua Tagovailoa, but I don't really have any questions about Tua. I feel Tua was kind of held back by the coaching staff, in a sense, and Brian Flores isn't a bad coach. It's just that the offensive coordinator situation was just really weird. They kind of ran an elementary-style offense, a lot of RPOs. 
you are looking at Mike McDaniel, somebody who actually understands offenses and understands how to get the most out of the players that he has and the personnel. He's going to put Tua in better situations to succeed than what the previous coaching staff did. Then the offensive line. Okay, your offensive line coach is, I'm going to have fun saying this name, Matt Applebaum, he was the offensive line coach for Boston College. He helped develop NFL prospects Zion Johnson and Alex Lindstrom. If you were to ask some Boston College players what are some outstanding traits from Applebaum, they would say that he's a really smart guy. He's really good when it comes to developing young athletic offensive lineman because he's also familiar with the zone running scheme that the Miami Dolphins are going to look to implement. And that's going to vote well for what they have on the offensive line because this offensive line is very young outside of Teron Armstead, who recently signed a five-year deal, $87 million. We know he's starting at left tackle. You got Connor Williams, who they also signed a free agency. He's most likely going to be starting at guard, but he could potentially move the center depending on how things transpire elsewhere because at right guard and tackle, you're going to have some position battles going down. Right guard is most likely going to be between Robert Hunt and Solomon Kenley. Then you're going to have Austin Jackson, Liam Eichenberg competing for the starting right tackle spot. Probably would expect Austin Jackson to win that job there. And Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, all of them, all of these offensive linemen are really athletic. They're just young. And I think with them transitioning into that zone running scheme, with the zone blocking concepts that Mike McDaniels and his staff are going to implement, I think that is going to bring the most out of these offensive linemen. And I think the offensive line is definitely going to be way better this year compared to what it has been in years past. This Dolphins offense, man, is going to be really good. I expect this offense to be a top 10 unit right off the bat. You have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. We can't forget about Mike Gusecki. How could I forget about him? I ain't forget. He's one of the better tight ends that we have in this league. And we know what George Kittle did with San Francisco and all the success that he's had. So I expect Mike Gusecki to have a pretty big role in this offense, especially down in the red zone, being a really big red zone target for Tua. So this offense should, at worst, be a top 10 unit. And if it isn't a top 10 offense, I would be a little bit disappointed Disappointed, but as long as the offense is scoring points and they're able to move the football, I guess that's all that really matters. But top 10 definitely is my expectation because with how dynamic this wide receiver core is and what they can do with the ball in their hands, just the fact that you added Tyreek Hill, even if you didn't add Tyreek Hill, I still would be pretty high on this offense. Now, I wouldn't expect them to be a top 10 unit without Tyreek Hill, but I would expect this offense to still be pretty good, at least top 13 or top 15 without Tyreek Hill. But with Tyreek Hill and with just how dynamic he is as just a weapon, not just a wide receiver, a weapon, and what he can do and how he can impact the game in several ways, he just brings a different dynamic to this offense. And then with Tua being able to be in the offense that's going to utilize his strength, I think Mike McDaniels is going to come in and he's going to have a similar impact with Tua that Sean McVay had when he was first hired by the Rams. Because you remember what the narrative was about Jared Goff. His first year under Jeff Fisher, he was already viewed as a bust. Many people already gave up on him. Then you bring in Sean McVay. He brings in his West Coast-style offense. He adds a couple of wrinkles in there. And Jared Koff ends up being a bust. And then a Pro Bowl, almost MVP, in just a span of a couple of years. And I think with Mike McDaniels, you can definitely see Tua take that kind of leap. Now, will he end up being a MVP candidate? Not going to take it that far, but I definitely think that Tua Tavaloa is going to surprise many people. And I'm so tired of people harping on Tua, man. Like, the situation that he was in wasn't ideal. The worst offensive line in the league. Not having no run game. Not really having any good talent at wide receiver. Tua probably had one of the worst offenses and one of the worst supporting casts around him. On top of that, not really a good offensive coordinator. That also held him back. 
So I'm not really understanding why we make so many excuses for other quarterbacks like Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson when those players had similar situations, but yet we give them a pass, but yet we don't want to give two of that same kind of treatment. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I think the reason why so many people are hard on Tua is because of how successful his fellow quarterbacks from his draft class have been, such as Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. But I don't think Tua's been bad. I mean, yeah, he's had some games where he could have been better. He could have done a little bit more. But how much do you want the guy to do when some of your best receivers – such as Devontae Parker, struggle to stay on the field. What are you supposed to do when your offensive line is constantly caving in? And we say, well, JT, look what Joe Burrow did. I mean, yeah, Joe Burrow had a lot of success his rookie season, but his rookie year, he was throwing to a very good wide receiving core. This was pre-Jamar Chase. Pre-Jamar Chase, who was who he throwing to? T. Higgins? Tyler Boyd? I mean, come on. Tua would have loved to have that. Tua would have loved to be throwing to Tyler Boyd last year. Tyler Boyd or T. Higgins. Oh, my goodness. Imagine what Tua could have did with Cincinnati. Not saying he would have been as good as Joe Burrow, but he probably could have had way more success if he was drafted by Cincinnati compared to the success that he's had over the last couple of years with the Dolphins. Then you look at Justin Herbert. Even Justin Herbert, his offensive line situation wasn't great. But at the same time, he had Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. So for Tua, he hasn't had the same level of weapons to work with on the perimeter, such as the other counterparts that he that his other quarterback pundits have had from that draft class. So I think this year, with the Dolphins finally taking a offseason to really build around Tua and finding a coach that wants to coach Tua, because you listen to Mike McDaniels talk about Tua Tagovailoa, he loves this guy. He really does. He has embraced Tua as his quarterback. And that's really all that it's about when it comes to developing a young quarterback. It's having stability on your coaching staff and having a head coach that wants the coach your quarterback. Brian Flores didn't want Tua. That it's been well known and well documented. He preferred Jordan Love over Tua. That's what the rumors say. So for Mike McDaniels, man, I think that he's going to do wonders with this Dolphins offense. And don't be surprised when this offense explodes. And when it does, I'm going to be the first person to come on here and tell you guys, I told you so. Too many people are counting out this Dolphins team simply because of who the quarterback is. I'm so tired of saying, hearing people say, oh, JT, yeah, they have a very good group of wide receivers, probably the fastest offense in the league, but... They're going to be held back by their quarterback play. I don't think that's going to happen. And Tua didn't play bad. That's that's what I'm trying to understand. There are some people who literally try to argue with me and say that Tua is one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. I'm not buying that. Is he one of the best? No. But at the same time, let's be fair. And just too many people are just being unfair to Tua, man. I, I'm really rooting for Tua Tagovailoa. I, I'm really am. I really hope that he comes out and he just lights up the league this year. I, I, I hope that Tua, hell, I hope Tua wins MVP this year. I really do. If I had to pick any player to win MVP, it would be Tua. Because the guy has just gotten so much undeserved criticism. It makes no sense. And he hasn't played bad at all. He hasn't played bad. Could he have played better? Yes. Not making no excuses. He could play better. But let's not act as if Tua was just in this great situation. I think too many people overrate Brian Flores. It really irritates me. Brian Flores, if he was a good coach, the Dolphins would have made it to the postseason. If he was a good coach, Tua Tavalor would have been in a better situation. I'm just saying. I... I'm really trying to figure out why so many people are against Tua. He's a great leader. He is a great person off the field, and he hasn't played bad. He's actually had a pretty solid career. Now, not up to the level of what you expect when you draft a quarterback that high, but you also have to do a good job of building around your quarterback. And when the Dolphins drafted Tua, I mean, what much did they do to build around him over the last couple of years? Honestly. So I'm really excited for what this offense can do in 2022. Let me know how you guys are feeling about the Miami Dolphins offense down in the comment section down below. How good will the Baltimore Ravens offense be in 2022? 
I want to start off talking about Greg Roman because there are many people out there who are calling for Greg Roman to be fired and saying that Greg Roman is holding back the Baltimore Ravens offense. And I got to defend Greg Roman because Greg Roman, and I was just talking to one of my friends on the phone, I was telling him if Greg Roman was this bad offensive coordinator, tell me why he had Tyler Huntley and Josh Johnson balling last year. Now, of course, they weren't lighting up the stat sheet or they want nothing fantastic, but I'm talking about on the standard of how you would grade and evaluate a backup quarterback. For backup quarterback play, (laughs) Tyler Huntley and Josh Johnson probably were two of the better backup QBs in the league last season under Greg Roman. On top of that, Greg Roman's offenses the last three seasons have been pretty good. Yards per game in 2021, they were 6th. 2020, they were 19th. 2019, they were second in yards per game. Points per game, 17th last year. 2020, 9th in points per game. 2019, first in points per game with 31.9. Rushing yards per game. Two out of the last three years, they have had the best rushing attack in the NFL. Last year, without... All of their starting backs to start the year, no J.K. Dobbins, no Gus Edwards or whatnot, having Devontae Freeman as their lead back, the guy who we haven't seen play in how many years? When I saw that the Ravens signed Devontae Freeman, I was saying, oh my goodness. And then they signed Le'Veon Bell. I was like, okay, if you want to take me back to 2016 and bring back some nostalgia, go ahead. And yet, The rushing attack was still very good. Very good. So, for Greg Roman, you're probably saying, okay, JT, there's a reason why us Baltimore Ravens fans don't like Greg Roman. And the reason for that is because you feel that the passing game has been held back because of Greg Roman. And that's understandable because Greg Roman is somebody who puts a lot of emphasis on running the football. But I don't think the passing game is that bad because of Greg Roman's inability to improve it because when you look at where the Ravens have ranked in pass attempts per game 2020 they were 32nd in how many times they threw the football they only threw the football 25 times a game in 2020 so if you're not throwing the football that much of course you're not going to put up a lot of great passing numbers that's just common sense with if you're an offense that has a lot of passing yards, that means that you have a lot of passing volume. To get a lot of passing yards, you have to throw the football a lot. If you're only throwing the football 25 times a game, you can't expect to have a passing offense that's ranking in the top 10. Let's do some basic math, right? So let's say the Baltimore Ravens were averaging, let's say, 350 passing yards per game, right? And let's divide that by 25, which is how many times they threw the football game. That means that the Baltimore Ravens had to average 13.5 yards per pass. Are we are we, we being for real right now? So I don't really understand why people continue to knock Greg Roman. He's not a bad offensive coordinator. This is somebody who has had success everywhere he's been. With similar quarterbacks of the skill set of Lamar. Colin Kaepernick with San Francisco. Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor with the Buffalo Bills went to the Pro Bowl. And also took them to the playoffs when Greg Roman was the OC. Let's just show Greg Roman a little bit more respect. However, how do you help out the passing attack? How do you help the development of the wide receivers? Because the main reason why Marquise Hollywood Brown wanted to get traded was because... He wanted a little bit more volume or a lot more volume in the passing game, which is why he went to Arizona, which is a team that loves to throw the football around. However, how do you help a coach who isn't really a specialist when it comes to the passing game? Well, you bring in people to help them out and help improve that area. So what did the Baltimore Ravens do last offseason? They hired T. Martin to be their wide receiver coach. And then they also hired Keith Williams to be their passing game coordinator. And you want to know something crazy? They brought in Martin, they brought in Williams, and all of a sudden, 
The wide receiver core had one of the best seasons that we've seen in recent memory. And let's not act as if Baltimore has always had phenomenal wide receiver play. I mean, when's the last time Baltimore had a legitimate number one wide receiver? What, Steve Smith when he was past his prime and the tail end of his career? When is the last time you can recall Baltimore having a wide receiver that ranked top five or top ten in the position? I can't remember. So Baltimore has never really been a team that's been built off great wide receiver play. This is a team that has always been predicated off being physical, running the football down your throat, and relying on great defense. However, with the additions of Martin and Keith Williams, the wide receiver position was really good compared to where they have been in previous years. Marquise Brown had the best season of his career last year with the Baltimore Ravens. He called a thousand yards. He had a thousand receiving yards for the first time ever. And he got shipped off to Arizona. But you have Rashad Bateman, who you drafted in the first round not too long ago. He was impressive when he finally was able to get healthy and he was able to get into the rhythm of things. He had 515 receiving yards, 46 receptions, and a touchdown. I'm really excited about what Rashad Bateman is going to do going into year two of his NFL career. As a matter of fact, if you're somebody who plays fantasy football and you're looking for a potential wide receiver sleeper who could end up being a wide receiver two or a good flex option... I would look at trying to draft Rashad Bateman, and you probably could end up getting him without having to give up a draft pick because not too many people are going to be diving into the Ravens offense like I'm doing right now. There are a lot of people who are going to say, man, JT, the Ravens passing attack is just going to stink. But I bet they can't tell you who their wide receiver coach is. I bet they can't tell you what they've done to try to improve the passing game. I'm just saying. That's what I'm here for, to inform the people. Then you have other wide receivers such as Devin DuVernay, James Porsche, who probably is going to primarily be your starting slot receiver. And don't sleep on Tylen Wallace. Tylen Wallace was also drafted in the same draft class as Rashad Bateman in the later rounds. And he didn't really get too many opportunities last year. I definitely feel that he could end up taking over that other starting wide receiver spot and replace of Devin DuVernay because Tylen Wallace was really underrated during his time at Oklahoma State. As a matter of fact, I thought that he was one of the best wide receivers coming out of that draft class. I thought he would have won in the second round, so I was really surprised when Baltimore was able to get him in the middle part of that draft. And Baltimore is always a team that does a fantastic job of finding great value in the draft. Then, let's not forget about Mark Andrews, 107 receptions for 1,361 receiving yards, 9 touchdowns. You also have Nick Boyle. You have rookie tight end Isaiah Likely, who you drafted in the fourth round of this past year's draft. I'm really excited about Isaiah Likely. This dude is an absolute freak. Let me tell you this crazy statistic about Isaiah Likely. Did you know that he had 5 touchdowns? that came from 50, that he had five touchdowns that came from multiple 50-plus yard receptions. Think about that. He had several touchdowns that went for 50-plus yards or more with Coastal Carolina. The dude is pretty much a wide receiver disguised as a tight end. As a matter of fact, he is a wide receiver. They just have tight end right next to his name instead of wide receiver. And if he can improve as a blocker just a tad bit, just be a little bit, he doesn't have to be a great blocker as a Mark Andrews or whatnot. He just has to be serviceable. You just want to be able to put him out there and not just let him be out there just on obvious passing situations because he'll be an obvious giveaway. So if Isaiah Likely can just become a serviceable run blocker, he's going to be something serious in this league. Now, I'm not expecting him to have a big role in this offense this year. Could be wrong. But I do think within a year or two, he's going to be something special. You also selected another rookie tight end in the fourth round. Also, Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State. He's a big body tight end, 6'6", 252 pounds. He has great hands to go along with elite measurables. However, you would like to see him play a little bit more true to his size because you look at him, 6'6", 252, he doesn't kind of play like it at times. You would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive in the run game. 
But they have a really deep tight end room. And hopefully if either Kohler or Likely end up being very good throughout the offseason and training camp and preseason, we could potentially see Nick Boyle maybe get released before the start of the year. But the offensive line should be pretty good. Ronnie Stanley, one of the better left tackles in the game. You got... Ricky Center, Tyler Lindenbaum, who many Bengals fans were upset that they weren't able to get him. Baltimore did. Right guard, Kevin Zeitler, pretty solid. Right tackle, Morgan Moses, he's pretty good as well. I don't know who's starting that left guard, so if you Ravens fans want to go ahead and debate that in the comment section, go ahead because... I I didn't really, I wasn't able to gather much information about what's going to happen at left guard. So overall, this is a Ravens offense that is going to be pretty good this year. And I still expect this offense to be in the top 10. They're still going to be really good when it comes to running the football. You have J.K. Dobbins coming back. You got Gus the Bus coming. So this is a really good running back room. I think J.K. Dobbins could end up having his workload a little bit reduced. And he may not have the breakout season that many people are hoping that he'll have just because they did sign Mike Davis. So they're going to have a pretty good running back rotation. Baltimore always has a good amount of running backs that they love to rotate in and out. But this is a offense that definitely is going to be pretty productive this year. Yes, I know many people may not be a fan of Greg Roman simply for the fact that the past game hasn't developed the way that you would hope that it would, but he's still one of the best offensive coordinators when it comes to getting the most out of the running game. The dude is phenomenal. That's why they went ahead and got people who specialize getting the most out of wide receivers in the passing game. That's why they went out and got T. Martin, who recently this offseason during the Buffalo Bills interview process when they were trying to replace their offensive coordinator who took the New York Giants job in Brian Dable, T. Martin was actually interviewed for that offensive coordinator spot. And the fact that he was interviewed in his first year ever And the NFL tells you everything you need to know about how good and how critical he was for this Baltimore Ravens staff and what he means to this offense. Same thing with Keith Williams. So with those two guys in the mix, that's going to help out Greg Roman and it's going to help this passing game continue to improve. And with Lamar coming back, Lamar still is a top five, top 10 quarterback. So we can't forget that he missed a good amount of the season last year as well. And that also held back this offense at times and the development of these young receivers such as Rashad Bateman and whatnot. So for the Baltimore Ravens, man, I think that this offense is going to be really good. I don't think Greg Roman is as big as a problem as many Ravens fans think that he is. And I think that he's still a pretty solid offensive coordinator. Is he one of the best in the game? No, but the dude gets the most out of the run game. And that's really critical. And that's a huge reason why Harbaugh decided to bring him back. If he was a bad OC, I'm pretty sure Harbaugh wouldn't have had no reasons getting rid of him. But this dude had... Two backup quarterbacks playing really good for what you expect out of backup quarterbacks. So let me know how you guys are feeling about the Baltimore Ravens offense going into the 2022 NFL season. Do you think that this offense is going to be a top 10 unit, top 15 unit? Or do you think that this could end up being a season where Greg Roman ends up fizzling out and his offense falls apart? The last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up this episode of the JT Sports Podcast, which Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver will step up in 2022? The Chiefs lost a lot of talent in the wide receiver room over this offseason. You trade away Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins. Demarcus Robinson signed with the Las Vegas Raiders. Byron Pringle is now with the Chicago Bears. So there are a lot of unfamiliar faces in Kansas City when it comes to the receiver room. So you look at Miko Hartman, will he finally break out? Because he was drafted in the second round of the 2019 NFL draft out of the University of Georgia. And many people were looking at him as Tyreek Hill 2.0 and he hasn't really came on as of yet. And I don't think it's because he doesn't have the talent. I simply think it's because he hasn't gotten the volume. If Miko Hartman can get the same amount of targets as Tyreek Hill was able to get, 140 plus or something like that, 
I think Miko Hartman is going to end up having a Pro Bowl caliber season. Last year, he was pretty good. 59 receptions, 693 receiving yards, two touchdowns. He was averaging 11.7 yards per reception. And this was only on 83 targets. So imagine if he's getting 120, 140 targets. I don't see no reason why Miko Hartman shouldn't be a Pro Bowler. Then you sign Juju Smith-Schuster to a one-year deal worth $10.75 million. He only played in five games with the Steelers last year before he got injured. But as a Steelers fan, despite his TikTok antics and whatnot, you're getting one of the best slot receivers in the game. And I was a little bit hurt that Juju Smith-Schuster ended up having to go elsewhere. I kind of already saw the writing on the wall. But I love Juju as a stiller. He has really good hands. He came up really big. If you're looking for a reliable third-down option, Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be the wide receiver who Patrick Mahomes is going to be looking to outside of Travis Kelsey. Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be your safety blanket. He has really strong hands. And also, he He's really hard to bring down after the catch. Judas Smith-Schuster is a pretty big wide receiver. He's also very physical. He's really good when it comes to run blocking. Juju Smith-Schuster is a little bit overhated in a sense. Because if you can get over his TikTok antics, he is a really good football player. I'm going to miss seeing him in the black and gold. He was one of my favorite Steelers of all time. You have Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who signed a three-year deal worth $30 million dollars. And when this deal first went down, many people were freaking out saying, oh, the fall off of Kansas City begins, JT. They overpaid for MVS. Well, if you actually dive into the details of the deal, this is a contract that favors Kansas City. And this is basically a deal that's going year by year. In 2022, He's getting $8.56 million guaranteed. $6 million of that is coming from his signing bonus. And the other portion of that, the $2.56 million, is coming from his 2022 salary, which is also guaranteed. He also has a cap hit of $4.8 million this year. And 2023 and 2024, if he ends up playing well and Kansas City decides to retain him and they don't release him, he's going to have $11 million cap hit next year. And in 2024, he's going to have a $14 million cap hit. But if he doesn't play that well and Kansas City wants to part ways with him in 2023, they only take a $4 million dead cap hit, which they can stretch out over the course of 23 and the year 2024. But when you look at MVS, similar to Miko Hartman, he was somebody who didn't really get too many targets in Green Bay. But when he was put in the game, the dude made pretty big plays, a lot of them. I mean, in 2021, he had 26 receptions for 430 receiving yards, two touchdowns. 2020, 33 catches, 690 receiving yards, six touchdowns, and was averaging a career high 20.9 yards per reception. That's phenomenal. And imagine what he could do if he had maybe 70, 80 targets. I think the dude could end up being a very solid piece. But he's more of a big play threat in my eyes. I don't really know if he can consistently be a reliable outside option. You have Josh Gordon, who was signed to the practice squad last year back in September after being reinstated by the NFL once again. He then got activated to the main roster really fast because he was already in pretty good shape. And he only caught one touchdown last year. So he wasn't really that big of a factor in the offense. Simply for the fact that I think he was still trying to learn the playbook. He learned enough to be activated. But he didn't learn enough to have a big role in the offense. I think this year with a full offseason to really learn the system. And get good chemistry with Patrick Mahomes. I think he could potentially be a wild card because with Josh Gordon, he's always been a super talented dude. He's one of my favorite football players of all time. And for him, the potential has always been a reason why he's still around. Everybody always asks, why do teams continue to give this man a chance? Because the dude is a freak. He has phenomenal size. He's super fast and smooth. I've never seen a wide receiver of Josh Gordon's size and weight run that smooth as routes as he does. And there's not too many wide receivers that are. 
So for Josh Gordon, I think he could be a wild card to end up having a pretty big role in this offense. Then you have rookie wide receiver Sky Moore, who was drafted in the second round of the 2022 NFL Draft out of Western Michigan. He has good hands. He's well built, 5'10", 195 pounds. He's kind of built like a running back in a sense. He has great hands. Got to repeat that again because the dude made a lot of tough catches especially with the fans draped around him. However, the reason why he ended up having to make so many tough catches in traffic is because he's not the best when it comes to creating separation. And if you, you don't even got to watch a game to see that. You just go and watch Sky Moore Western Michigan highlights from last year. You're going to see on a lot of his catches, the defenders are still draped all over him. But he's really strong, has a really good frame, Maybe he doesn't possess the lead acceleration that you maybe think that he would for a guy of his size. However, he's a big body wide receiver, and I think he's pretty solid after the catch as well. And he's mainly going to play in the slot. Maybe he'll play a little bit outside. I don't know, but I think that he's primarily going to be utilized in the slot. Then my favorite wide receiver on this whole entire roster is rookie wideout Justin Ross. Undrafted rookie free agent out of Clemson, 6'4", 205 pounds. This dude was a first-round talent. And the reason why he ended up going undrafted was due to medical concerns because he had a contusional spine fusion, which caused him to miss the whole entire 2020 college football season for Clemson. But then when he came back, He was still trying to get into the flow of things, and the quarterback play from DJ Uyungle wasn't the best, so that kind of slowed him down as well. But he's a smooth route runner with a big catch radius, very good route running, especially when you ask him to run vertical concepts downfield. And as a freshman, 2018, he had 46 receptions for a team high, 1,000 receiving yards, 9 touchdowns. He also played in 343 snaps over 15 games. He had a career average during that span of 21.7 yards per catch, which was a single-season school record. And in 2021 last year, despite the fact that he didn't have the greatest quarterback play, he still caught 46 receptions for 514 receiving yards, three touchdowns, and he had a 95.3 quarterback rating when targeted. So when he was targeted, The guy made plays, and he was a reliable option. And I think as long as he's able to stay healthy, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up starting right away because you don't normally see undrafted rookie free agents start that often, but James Robinson did it, running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars not too long ago. And I think that Justin Ross is talented enough that he could potentially end up starting. But if I had to pick a wide receiver who's going to end up carrying the load for Kansas City, I'm probably going to go with Miko Hartman. I really think that Miko Hartman could fill in that role of Tyreek Hill being dynamic after the catch. All he really just needs is the volume and the targets. And as I mentioned earlier in this segment, if you can give Miko Hartman 120 or 140 reception or 140 targets in a season, I think he's going to end up having a Pro Bowl caliber year. He's also probably going to be utilized on returns, kickoffs, punt returns and whatnot, jet sweeps, screens. You just got to find ways to give him the ball. So let me know how you guys are feeling about the Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver core. Who do you guys think is going to step up? I think it's going to be Miko Hartman. Also think Justin Ross is going to have a little bit of an impact as well. I expect him to make the roster. I'm willing to bet money he makes the roster. And if he can stay healthy, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up seeing Justin Ross starting sooner rather than later over a guy like MVS or whatnot. Because what Justin Ross brings to Kansas City is really a steal. Because I don't care what the other scouting websites say. You have to judge Justin Ross based off his 2019 film because that's when he was at his best. Last year, he wasn't at his best, and he was still the best wide receiver on Clemson's roster, and he was still balling out. So imagine what he's going to do now when he's able to really get back into the way of the game because last year he was still coming back, still trying to get back to 100%. He was still trying to recover in a sense. So this offseason, going to have a little bit more time to sit back, learn the playbook, 
still get back into the rhythm of things. I think he's going to end up going off this year right as a rookie, and I'm going to have him on every single fantasy team. And you can screen record this, bookmark it, do whatever you got to do, because when Justin Ross ends up going off this year as a rookie, I'm going to be the first person to say I told you so. But maybe that's just me being overly optimistic about Justin Ross. Maybe I'm overrating him just a tad bit. But I'm a really huge fan of his story, what he had to endure, everything he went through to come back. I think he's going to be special, man. And I really think that he can have a big role in this Chiefs offense behind Miko Hartman. So... I appreciate you guys for tuning in to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Remember that every video that is uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on every single podcasting platform. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode, and I will see you guys shortly with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.